Bernice van Rijk and I have been serving in the Sunday School, the three to six year olds, for about the last 10 years. So um, I might have met some of you in your families over this time. I know I get a shock sometimes when I see the children are 14 and I can't believe they started with us. And even more blessed when our little people come back and actually serve with us like Kiara and um, some other teenagers who are just a blessing to be part of our team. And during lockdown, I've just been thinking about Sunday school and the journey that I've had and the fact that we started in the one house where the canteen is now, then we moved to the next house, to the house across the road, to our mini hall, and we've even been able to do online Sunday school and send resources home to your families during lockdown. And while I've been thinking about the children and the fun that I've been missing having with them, I've also been reflecting on the fact that God says to us that we must be like children to enter the kingdom of heaven. And um, I just think how spontaneous and fun the children are. And sometimes we replace fun with our own heavy thoughts of what's going on in our lives and where we expect to be and what we expect from God. And we don't just actually live in the purpose and the plan that he's created for us. And it's so easy. Um, to think our own thoughts and yet so hard to love God with our hearts, mind, soul and spirit. So I just want to encourage you to have fun with your families. I look forward to us getting back to Sunday school, especially sitting under the jungle gym and hearing all the wonderful news from the children. That was so exciting. And just the fact that um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get back and to teach the children that every story in the Bible is true and that God has sent Jesus to be our best friend forever and that one day we get to live with Him. And that is just so awesome. Can't wait. Um, it excites me all the time. The simple truths that we forget so often. Um, stay blessed. Can't wait to see you all. And um, lots of love. Bye. Hello, SBC. Greetings from the Chips family. We're missing you all and we're hoping to see you soon. It's not the same. Been watching the uh, service on YouTube. Can't wait to see all of you guys getting together. I trust it's going to be a very good Holy Spirit filled time. Hey everybody and welcome to the service. We're really glad you've tuned in with us today. Also really excited to let you know that we have started in-person gatherings. We had our first one last week Sunday and it was incredible to see so many people's faces and have some much needed catch-up. I know some of you aren't feeling safe yet together and so that's fine. We will keep producing this online package but if you are ready to meet, our November signups are now open. Just select the service that you would like to attend, whether that's 8, 10, 30 or 6, and use the appropriate link to sign yourself and your family up to come and join us at church in person in the month of November. Remember that kids' ministry is only on offer at the two morning services, and if you do have primary school children that you would like to have attend Sunday school, make sure you sign up for the 8 or 10, 30. That's it from me for today. We're going to dive into the rest of our service. Remember that we have worship at the end, so please do stay tuned for that and worship the Lord in song with us. As always, we invite you to worship the Lord by giving this morning. You can do that through EFT. And we also always encourage you to worship through sharing an answered prayer or a testimony or a scripture in our comment feed. We would love to have you encourage us with what God is doing in your life. Have a great service, everyone, and I hope to see you soon. Good morning, SBC. Uh, we welcome you to this morning's service, uh, online service. We hope you are well. And we hope and pray that you'll be encouraged by the word this morning. I'm reading from 2 Peter chapter 1 from verse 3 to, to 11. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness to our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted 
and blind and has forgotten that he is being cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall and will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. This is a powerful scripture. Um, it says His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So God comes and He breathes His life into us. This is a very special thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's actually a miracle. So He comes and breathes His life into us. He gives us all that we need for life and godliness. And it says we become partakers of the divine nature. So God does this thing in the believer. We are born again. But it does say, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Make every effort to supplement your faith. And in this way we become more like Jesus. The gospel grips our lives. And we become gospel living people. We're going to pray together. We pray that the Lord would just bed this down in our hearts and in our lives. Let's close our eyes. Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth. We pray, Lord, that you would allow it by your Holy Spirit to grip our lives. We want to live a life, lives that are pleasing to you. So we give ourselves to you, Lord. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your word. Yes. And we give ourselves to hearing your word preached this morning. We want to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Yes. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you as you listen this morning. Amen. Hi everyone and welcome to another Sunday online service. It's good to be with you today. Uh, it was also wonderful to uh, be together in the flesh last Sunday. We opened up our services and what a special time it was. And so if you have not yet signed up to be part of our 8, half past 10 or 6 p.m. service, please do so. Um, it was wonderful to be together. And uh, as you know, over the last three weeks, we've been tackling this series called Getting Ready Together. And uh, we've been doing so because we've wanted to press the reset button in our hearts and minds around why is it so important that we prioritize gathering in the flesh as a church. Um, I'm sure many of you have experienced, like I have, if I'm very honest, um, some rather lazy habits that have developed over lockdown. And there's certainly a lot more comfortable things to do on a Sunday, right, than to get together and gather with God's people as in the body, in the flesh. But, uh, and even our online services, uh, we recognize that um, some of us uh, can't attend because of health reasons and we, not all of us can attend at the 8 o'clock yet. Um, but, uh, so we're alternating every second Sunday. But even there, you know, even the online service, you have to be so careful about getting too comfortable about having church on your terms. And why is on the Bible's terms, a church gathered together, a gathering of God's people in the flesh regularly and in a committed way? And so we've been looking at uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, and we have uh, Andrea and Glenda Hussen, small group leaders in the life of our church, who are going to be reading the text for us. And so over to you guys. Morning, SBC family and friends. It's a real privilege to be sharing in the online service with you this morning. Glenda and I were very excited to be back in church last Sunday, and we enjoyed the fellowship and the worship. If you haven't been able to book your seat yet, I will encourage you to do so. It's very uplifting. Glenda is going to be sharing with us this morning from Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. Morning, SBC, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The fellowship of the believers. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, 
and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Thanks so much, Andrew and Glenda. All right. So what we see in particularly Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the first verse of our reading today, is that we see that in the forming and this supernatural forming of this uh, New Testament church in Jerusalem, that everybody was devoted to four things. Uh, and these four things are in specific order. The first is priorities given to the apostles' teaching or doctrine is the same word, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And I want to remind you again that this word devoted in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 is a powerful word in the Greek. Uh, it means to be intently engaged. And they were intently engaged in these four things. They attended constantly to, is another way of, of, of putting it, or they were constantly diligent in, or they persevered with particularly in the giving of time to these four things. And we say that the Greek in and of itself tells us that everybody was doing this. It wasn't just the holy huddle or the select few. Every disciple, every follower of Christ in that church was giving themselves to these four things. And so these four things were essential in their lives. If you as an outsider were there on the day of that, those 3,000 people being born again and, and watching that church unfold, meeting daily in the temple and in each other's homes, you would have seen that the dominant things in their lives were these four things, the apostles' doctrine, devotion to the apostles' doctrine, the fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. It was, these four things were what dominated their lives. It is what they were almost um, consumed by. Um, and so I want to say to you today and remind us, it's very, very important how did we get here? How did they, rather, did they get to being devoted to these four things? What led to this dramatic change in their lives and this devotion in their lives? You see, it's instructive for us to keep asking ourselves this question because we understand when we ask it and see the answer from Acts chapter 2, what a Christian really is and what the church really is. And the first thing, as you open up in Acts chapter 2 and you see this um, verse 42 coming at you, you see that something remarkable has happened to these people, something seismic in its proportion. I mean, this has caused, whatever has happened to them, which we're going to analyze in a moment, the, it has caused the entire orientation of their lives to change. It is so profound that these people were never the same again. And we see it all started with this outpouring of the Spirit upon a few, about 120 gathered in an upper room. They were praying and something supernatural happened. That's very important. Something supernatural happened that caused the birthing of this church in Jerusalem of 3,000 people. Let's just quickly see what it was not again. The way this church Formed, or the way these people came to be involved in a part of the church was not through some philosopher sitting in his st study, writing nice moral papers or giving lectures. That wasn't what caused this church to be birthed. It wasn't even a social action movement. That's very important. These people didn't come into the church because they were rallying around a social action issue or a political liberation movement. It was nothing to do with that. It wasn't even a social club. It wasn't the fact that they had great bingo or served great tea or coffee that made these people come and be part of the church of God and be devoted to these things. That had nothing to do with it. It was a supernatural move of God. And what did the supernatural move of God by His Spirit produce? Well, the first thing that we see it produced was powerful, charismatic preaching. And actually in multiple different languages. But let's just zone in on what the sermon became central. Or the guy preaching Peter, his sermon is recorded in Acts chapter 2. But we see that the primary outflowing of the outpouring of the Spirit is preaching. That is powerful. And preaching, my friend, is, is central to the church. And it has been central to the church from day one. But we see again, what kind of preaching is happening here? 
Very important. What are they preaching about? When you read Peter's sermon, what is the one thing that comes to your attention over and over again? It is preaching the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is central to the church's message. He is central as God's anointed Messiah to rescue the world from God's right judgment of their sin and to reconcile them to God. And all the way, Peter's preaching, we see the unity of this apostolic preaching with the Old Testament. Peter is using the Old Testament as the diving board for the expounding and unpacking and confirming of this new covenant. Now, friends, what we see as Peter is preaching powerfully through the Spirit, that we see as this message of the good news of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed, so the Spirit is testifying it and applying it and accompanying it in, and, and, and working through it into the hearts of these people who are listening. Remember in Acts chapter 2 verse 37, it says, when they heard this message, when they heard this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were cut to the heart. It led to the greatest thing that can happen to a human being. Friends, to become a Christian in the biblical sense, not in the, the common cultural understanding of what a Christian is. To be a Christian as the Bible understands it is the most radical thing that can happen to a human being. 3,000 people were born again when they heard this message of Peter proclaiming Christ. What does that mean? What was happening when they're saying they were cut to the heart? Well, it means that they received an awakening. In other words, they received a new birth, new life that was awakening them to their sin, to the judgment of God against sin, and to the revelation of God's love being revealed to them through this Savior being presented to them as their only hope, as their only means of rescue, to reconcile them to the Father. It was in that second of awakening they received newness of life. And in that moment, they became an entirely new person on the inside, a new creation. And friends, they would never be the same again. This is the start of what we understand a Christian to be. Is that this resurrection power that awakened them from their sin and death, enabled them to see clearly for the first time that they were not right with God. That's why they said, brothers, what must we do to be saved? They can see that they're in trouble. They can see that suddenly this person of Jesus Christ is real. Before this moment, man, Jesus Christ was just an abstract, funny teacher that was crucified 40 days ago. No, no, no. Now suddenly through the power of the Spirit, they know Jesus is more real than the person next to them. And they've got to respond. They're awakened to their sin and they see, man, I'm in trouble. I'm under judgment for my sin. And the only way that God is offering rescue from that judgment is Jesus Christ. These guys are being gripped by the spirits. And in that second, everything becomes logical. In other words, because they can see clearly now for the first time, because they're alive by the spirit, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead has resurrected them from the death in, from death in their sin, from their sins. And suddenly they can see, they can see that this Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life. And this is the most logical conclusion to exercise this gift of faith, to say, this is Jesus. I respond to him. I believe in him as my Lord and Savior. They're born again. They're born again. That's what it means to become a Christian. It's not somebody putting up their hand 40 years ago and nothing changing in their lives. It's not somebody who's attending church for the whole of their life, but yet there's no signs of this life and awakening to God. No, no. They went on to express this newness of life through the direction of Peter by public baptism. And then something very special happened. Peter said, once you get baptized and experience, and after you experience this newness of life, there is a special promise of the outpouring of the Spirit for you. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38 to 39, he says, you will experience the promise of the Holy Spirit. God not only awakened them, but filled them with this glorious power of the Spirit. And friends, it's only at this point that we get to Acts chapter 2, 42. It's only at this point that we see that they were devoted to these four things. It was a result, this devotion to the apostles, teaching, the, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers was the result of this powerful awakening and newness of life by the Spirit inside of him. That's a Christian. And in week one, we said that the logical conclusion of this newness of life is that it needs food. 
it needs to it needs food to survive. It's, it's like a little baby when the, when you, a new baby's born, the first thing it starts crying for is milk, not so. It wants to eat. It's the sign of life that a person is hungry. And we said, well, if to be, how do you know you're a Christian? Is you want to grow in God. You want to have a sense of man. This thing is something that I have to feed inside of me. You have an appetite to feed this newness of life. That was week one, and we said week two when Joe preached was. That this powerful work of the Spirit in the life of the believer brings him under a new authority. And the authority is the scriptures that the same Spirit that's awakened a Christian has authored. And suddenly you realize that this food is not only just nourishing me, it's my authority. The Spirit drives us to give ourselves to the Word of God. And so these people's devotion to the Word of God was not just through need, it was by an attitude of reverence and submission to the preached word of God. And thirdly, we saw this word was central, not just at their large gatherings, but throughout their everyday lives. Devotion to the apostles' teaching was not a once-off moment on a Sunday. Every area of their lives were being totally encompassed, directed by the word of God. That was week three, Joe's sermon last week. Now, this had a natural consequence. What had happened to them, had a, the next consequence was they were devoted to the fellowship. And I'm going to just use the time that we have left this morning, hopefully being very clear about what a Christian is and what has happened to a person if they're a Christian, is I want to be very clear today. And it's going to be a bit of a challenging message. It's a simple message. I don't have a lot of time, but I'm going to do my best to unpack why they were devoted to the fellowship and why the fellowship came immediately after the apostles' teaching. But we need to ask ourselves the question, why was the fellowship so important to them? And when I mean the fellowship, I mean the big gathering, because it comes from Acts chapter 2, verse 46. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. These guys were devoted to the fellowship, the big fellowship, the temple gathering. And we also see that there was a second level of fellowship, meeting in people's homes. And Mark will deal with that in, in, in next week. But in essence, why did they devote themselves to the fellowship, the gathering of the saints? Well, we said first and foremost, the natural conclusion of the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer is the need for nourishment. They gathered together because that's where the local preaching of God's word was happening. And they gathered together because they wanted to hear from God. They were devoted to the fellowship because that's where the preaching was happening. And man, they didn't want to miss the preaching. That was the first reason. But something just as important we need to give our attention to happened to them. It was because they were devoted to the fellowship because of their radical new nature. You see, the work of the Spirit that produced this new birth in these people had a further profoundness in their lives. You see, the Spirit didn't just awaken them to newness of life. But he gave them an entirely new position, an entirely new nature. Man, before they were awakened and regenerated or born again, to use those words, by the Spirit of God, they were in the kingdom of darkness. And when the Spirit of God came and aroused them and summoned them before the, this God of the Bible and his son, Jesus Christ, they were in darkness. But the second the Spirit worked in their lives and they came to newness of life, they were put into an entirely new kingdom. Now, what I'm doing here is I'm wanting you to see how big, how, how big it, it means to be a Christian, how massive it is to be a Christian. Is they received a new king before their king was Satan, the, the kingdom of darkness. Now their king was Jesus Christ. They had a new authority, a new kingdom. They're in a new kingdom. Not only that, is they had become a new citizen or new citizens of an entirely new nation. Man, it is as radical as this. I was trying to think of a good example of how to explain this. But it's like a Frenchman dying and waking up to be born a South African citizen. When he wakes up and he's born again, now suddenly he's part of an entirely new people with new laws, with a new passport, with a new governing authority. You know, before he was saying, oh, President Macron, you know, there's our president, mon ami, whatever. I can't speak French, doesn't matter. Now when he wakes up, he hears my fellow South Africans as Ramaphosa opens up his presidential addresses and so and suddenly when he says, my fellow South Africans, he's going, that's me. I was once a Frenchman. Ah, oh, now I'm a South African, altogether better. 
And they have a new, they had a new language. The Bible calls it the language of Zion. A new culture, a new outlook on life, a new worldview. Friends, this is what it means to be a Christian. It is to be in a radically new and different position in nature to what you were before. 1 Peter, the same Peter is preaching here in Acts chapter 2. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen race, you Christians, a royal priesthood. Wow! A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, these people have become God's people. Before they were the part of the kingdom of God, now they were the people of God, the same God of the Bible. They were now the descendants of Abraham and the promise given to him. Those guys in the Bible that walked by faith, they became the ancestors of these new people, new citizens of God. Friends, that's what it means to be a Christian. You have become part of the heritage of God. And it was more personal in this, and it's more personal than this if you make it applicable to us today, is that their new birth made them part of a new family. What does it mean to be a Christian if you had to ask me? What does it feel like? I would say one of the things it feels like is you feel like you are now part of a family. It has a family feel. Suddenly, where God was their judge, he'd become their father. Because don't you know in Romans 8.15 it says the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of adoption. When the spirit gave them newness of life and gave them the gift of faith, and they became Christians as they responded to the Son of God in faith. The same spirit that raised him from the dead is also called the spirit of sonship, the spirit of adoption. And because now they had the spirit, they were now part of the people and family of God. It goes on to say in Romans 8 verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God and daughters of God. Man, these people now had God as their father, and they suddenly had 3,000 brothers and sisters in Christ on day one. I want to say to you today, if you are a Christian, you are part of a big family. And there is no such thing as an only child in the kingdom. And this new birth created new relationships in their lives. It is because of this inner fundamental work of the Spirit that this word for fellowship in the Greek called kornonia is possible. It is a very, very special word, kornonia. Its basic idea is that of sharing in something, being a partner in something. And when you think about what we've just been talking about, that it was not just a hunger that made them devoted to the fellowship, but this massive new nature that God had given them through their new birth, you start to realize that kornonia makes a lot of sense. This sharing in something, this partnering in something, it makes absolute spiritual sense when you think of it from this point of view. Because these people shared in the same new birth, the same savior, the same family, the same Holy Spirit, the same relationship and status with the Father and Son. They shared in the same struggles against sin. They shared in the same eternal destiny. They shared the same doctrine. That's why the Apostles' Doctrine came first. These people could have true fellowship, which means to share in something because they did share in the same salvation, the same work of God in their lives. And that, that's why this word kononia is possible. And that's why they were devoted to it, because they shared in all of these big things together. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, have you ever been surprised by the friendships you formed because of having Christ in common with someone else? I mean, one of the ways we see this is, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, a friend of mine um, met up last week, and he, we laughed because he asked me the question. He said, Matt, you know, do you think we'd ever be friends if we didn't share faith in Christ. I said, no ways. I mean, this guy is a big Afrikaner. He's a rugby player, briar, fisherman, Liverpool supporter. I have none of those things in common with him. I don't enjoy any of these things except Afrikaans. And we're friends. I mean, he has this nerdy guy, so different to this man. And yet we're brothers, we're friends because we share in the same salvation. And friends, this is why you can't have true fellowship, kononia, without holding to the apostles' teaching. Why did the fellowship follow the apostles' teaching is this, is you cannot share 
In these things we've been talking about, if you don't hold to the same gospel, if you don't hold to the same fundamental truths, it is impossible to have true fellowship with another person if you don't hold or share in these same things. And so I want to just point out to you today, what is fellowship according to the Bible? It's not socializing. It isn't having a cup of tea, saying, oh, we're going to have some fellowship, a nice cup of tea. No, no, no. It is being gripped by the same dominant things that bind believers together. It is sharing in these four things that they were devoted to that bound them together in fellowship. In other words, when they got together to talk and spend time together, their conversations were dominated by, man, did you hear God's word this Sunday? Or what God's saying to me in the scriptures that I've been reading? Or sharing and going, man, did you just see this brother in need? Man, we've got to help them out here. This fellowship was sharing in lives and sharing lives in terms of, of the gospel and what God had done and, and praying together. These were the things that drew them together in fellowship. These were the dominant things that described and explained their fellowship. Fellowship is spiritual, according to this word of Cunonia in the scriptures. And can I say today, it's very important that I stress this because one of the supreme ways of knowing you're born again, whether you are a Christian, is if you have a love for God's people pulsing in your heart. You see, we said when I preached in week one, one of the ways you know you're a Christian is that you have this life of God in your soul that needs to be fed. You're hungry. You're hungry for God's word. If you're not hungry, there's a problem. You're either sick and backslidden or you're not saved at all. But same here, same the test of whether we are in the faith is whether or not we love the saints. How can I say that? Because in 1 John 3, 14, it says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters. Whoever does not love abides in death. Wow. I'll give you an example again from my own life. I was part of SCA at school, and there was a girl that I met through SCA called Tandy, wonderful cross girl. And the second we met, we became brothers and sister, brother and sister. Tandy loved Jesus. Tandy lost both her parents in a car crash. And I remember um, we were talking, and I'd say to Tandy, you know, Tandy, I'm so sorry for the loss of your parents. She said, Matt, it's very sad. I miss them, but you know what? I'm so grateful that I found Christ through that and I wouldn't give up Christ for anything. And when Tandy and I got together, we would laugh together, cry together, pray together, share what God was doing in our lives. We had a bond. It wasn't a, a perverse sort of thing, a perverse sexual sort of thing. Don't think like that. No, we were a brother and sister in Christ and we shared love for each other and a love for the saints. You know, Tandy loved God's people so much. That she went to the headmaster after we matriculated and said, can I please come back and just serve the ACA team? I just love these people. I want to be encouragement to God, God's people. She loved the saints. And I tell you what, it's the mark of being alive in Christ when you see a love for believers in another person's life. It's the mark of newness of life in you that you love God's people. They're your brothers. They're your sisters. There's an instant connection with the newness of life in them. There is the spirit that is pulling you into a loving relationship with each other because the work of the spirit brings you into community. It brings you into this identity, this corporate nature of being part of the body of Christ. And friends, I want to say again to you, the primary reason for these people gathering was not because some negative whipping of the elders or apostles saying you better meet every Sunday. You couldn't keep them away because they loved each other so much. And the source of this love was the work of the Spirit in their hearts. And that is the essence on an essential work of the Spirit in the life of a believer. And I want to be very clear today and be very helpful. I, I warned you it's going to be a bit of a challenge this morning, but we want as an eldership to be as clear as possible. To neglect regular fellowship is to grieve the Holy Spirit, my friend. Why do I say that? It's a logical conclusion. Work it out. If the Spirit is driving you into community by all of its awakening you to newness of life, giving you a new identity and nature, and bringing you into a new kingdom, making you part of the body of Christ, if all of the Spirit's leadership on your life is bringing you into community, to resist that and to go into the opposite direction is to grieve the Holy Spirit and to walk in disobedience. Friends, this is a very, very serious thing to neglect the gathering of the saints. 
And we are in danger here as a generation, in our day, as a culture, of corporately grieving the Spirit as Christians. I guarantee you today, you will not grow very much at all. You will be weak and vulnerable if you lack this trait of committed fellowship at both levels. The big fellowship, which was put in our context, the Sunday gathering, the temple gathering, and the small fellowship. You must remember that one of the, the, the metaphors for, or pictures for, for, the, for the church or, or Christians are sheep. It's, it's a sheep. A sheep that is outside of the fellowship is, of, of the flock is, is generally sick. Friends, it is spiritually devastating to not be devoted to the fellowship. And I want to take this a step further because I, I don't want you to misunderstand me or the scriptures this morning regarding cornonia and what it means. Cornonia is not merely faithful attendance on Sundays. I'm talking about Sunday this week or the big fellowship. Mark will talk about the small fellowship next week. Cornonia is sharing of your life with fellow believers. You know, it's possible to attend church and not share in anyone else's life. And I, I want to ask you today, are you sharing your life with your fellow believers at SBC or whichever context if you're watching from another church today in your local church? Are you concerned or interested or invested in the well-being of those around you? That is what Cornonian is, is to share in something. It's to be a partner in something. Are you bearing one another's burdens? Are you sharing your life? This is what fellowship means. You know, you can even be a person on staff in a church, being paid to serve a function, but not be in fellowship, to not share your life with anybody else. To never really love the brethren. Friends, cornonia is the opposite of consumerism. We're partners. And so a good test, which I had to ask myself, is over these six months plus of lockdown, did you reach out to anybody in SBC or the kindness of your local church and love on them? Did you call anybody? Did you show concern for anybody? Did you love anyone? That's what I've had to ask myself. And I've been tough on myself here because you see, even working for a church doesn't mean that my heart is always right. Even attending a church regularly doesn't mean that my heart is always right in this area. And friends, I want to say we did our best as a team to make sure everybody got contacted and loved over the season. If we dropped balls, I recognize that, but I want to flip it on the other side. Did you make any effort to be devoted to the fellowship and love the saints? You see, you can't just get grumpy if nobody contacted you or didn't quite meet your need of love. My question to you is a, a Christian understands that they are reciprocal, that, that love is reciprocal. They are part of the body of Christ. Cornonia is sharing both ways. It's a partnership. This is why when you understand Cornonia, this sharing, this partnership, this reciprocation, this mutual concern and love for each other. This is why when you understand its meaning as being that Cornonia, that you understand there was fellowship at two levels in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. Andre and Glenda reminded us that it was both the gathering in the temple, they devoted to that, and they were also gathering in people's homes. Why? Because there was a corporate coming together, a corporate hearing of God's word, a corporate feeling of, of togetherness as they gathered in the big gathering, but it was also sharing of lives in the smaller gatherings that were so important to them. Now, it was not that they were devoted merely to Sundays and not midweek gathering. It wasn't that they were just devoted to their small group and not Sundays. They were devoted to both. Can you hear me on that? I want to nudge and push this morning and say, if you are only devoted to the smaller fellowship, your small group, but not the larger church, the fellowship from which the small group flows, you're not devoted to the brethren. You're out of fellowship. Vice versa is the same. If you devote on the Sunday, but never share your life with anybody, so you come to the pulpit, you acknowledge the preaching and the togetherness of God's people, but you don't express that in everyday life. You're out of fellowship. They were devoted to both. To disregard the big fellowship, I'll remind you again, is to disregard what the Holy Spirit is saying through the gathered, gathering line of the pulpit of God. It's to ignore the leadership of the Spirit and the gathering of the flock. They, were, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't neglect either or. They were devoted to both. So let's be fair to the text. Acts chapter 2. We see that these people were poor. 
I mean, that's why the church would be so generous to each other, which means that many of them didn't have jobs. So they didn't have many options. So they loved meeting daily in the temple and in each other's homes. But our challenge in the 21st century as believers is that we've got a lot of options that compete with fellowship. And we would be foolish today to think that we don't need to take this seriously, that we have to be intentional about being deliberate to meet and be devoted on Sundays, the big fellowship, and small group during the week. And I want to say, you know, I'm very grateful to my parents who modeled this for me. Uh, they were devoted to the fellowship and it just became something that was a non-negotiable in my life. I had to think about this even when I went away for the weekend. Uh, I was back by the 6 p.m. service to make sure I was in church. I am also very sympathetic to shift workers here. I mean, I was a pharmacist, worked retail hours. As soon as my Sunday shift was done, I went off to church. I was there for the 6 p.m. service. What I'm saying is this, friends, we're in trouble here. Many of us are going away to farms, to weekends, hardly seen in the service during the month. And, and there are, I'm saying, you have to test that. You have to examine that. How are you displaying devotion to the fellowship? Because this is spiritually serious. And this is me saying that you need to check. This is scripture saying that you need to be faithful and devoted to these things. It is eternally too costly to ignore and to neglect regular fellowship to the saint, with the saints. It is the exception to Miss Sundays and small group. It's not the rule. And so, friends, I want to say to you today, even guys like Dave Kettles, who's a cardiologist, I mean, he was such an inspiration to me in this area. He calls me one day, I mean, he's an international speaker for cardiology. And he said, man, I'm going to be late for this. I mean, I'm going to try and make it to 6 p.m. service. I better take this flight, this flight, this flight, multiple connecting flights at an increased cost so that he can get to the 6 p.m. service on time. It was amazing for me. From the other side of the world, Dave made sure he was at the 6 p.m. service. Now, you see, the, what I'm interested about that thinking is Dave realized, although I'm called to be a cardiologist, it doesn't call me out of fellowship. Nor should our holidays, nor should our, 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 our families, nor should, all that stuff must fit around our display of devotion to the fellowship, not replace it. Now, I, I want to give you a few more reasons quickly why we should, uh, shouldn't neg neg neglect the big gatherings on Sunday. Put negatively, I'll say again, to not walk in committed fellowship with your local church is to walk in disobedience to the Spirit of God and to publicly discredit your gospel identity. It's to go against who you are as a believer. But to put more positively, man, some of the greatest things that have happened in history, in the history of the church, is when she's gathered in her corporate gatherings. You ask me why I think these people were devoted to fellowship in Acts chapter 2. It's partly because they weren't quite sure what God was going to do next at their next gathering. I mean, don't you love it? In the very next verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 43 says, And awe and wonder was on every soul. I tell you what, when you have God's people gathering with hungry, eager, prayerful, expectant hearts, just as the Spirit honors His Word, He honors the fellowship. He moves when God's people gather with hearts after Him. I mean, I remember Mandy Kemp, who's now Mandy Cohen. She would say, I don't want to miss out on a Sunday because something might happen. That's the right attitude to have. It's to have, you know, when God's people gather, the Spirit's going to honor it, and who knows what the Spirit's going to do. And you see, the problem that we have is by being negligent of the, of the fellowship is you can't recapture what happens in that moment. It happens so often. I listened to a sermon online that I preached or someone else preached in the sermons, and there was just power. And I listened to the sermon online, I'm like, there's no power. It was quite mundane. You can't recapture what happens in fellowship. In a repeat online or repeat via a recorded service. I mean, that's what George Whitfield would say when people came to him and said, could we print your sermons, George Whitfield? And he says, well, only if you can recapture the, the, uh, the capture the thunder and the lightning. You see the dynamism of when God's people gather, stuff happens and you don't want to miss out. I mean, if you look at the book of Acts alone, you see some of the most exciting stuff in the big fellowship. We see Acts chapter one to two, uh, they're praying together in the upper and suddenly tongues of fire come down upon the fellowship. They were gathered again, praying in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And they were filled again with the Spirit. And it says the whole room shook. Wow. Man, Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira fall down dead before the fellowship. Now that hasn't happened at SBC, but it might. Who knows? 
the outpouring of the Spirit on the gathered Samaritans, upon the Gentiles at Joppa, the church praying for Peter who's stuck in prison and suddenly he's knocking outside the gate saying, let me in, the angel of the Lord has delivered me from prison. I mean, the miraculous stuff that happened as God's people gathered in fellowship. Think about Paul and Barnabas. There they're praying. The Holy Church is fasting and praying. Suddenly, the Spirit tells the church that you need to set apart Paul and Barnabas for a whole new ministry in the, in the known Roman world to the Gentiles. I mean, the establishment of church doctrine in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, the greatest things are happening in the gathering of God's people. Wouldn't you like to be a part of a church where at SBC you don't know what's going to happen on a Sunday as God's People come hungry and expectant. Man, what could happen next? I do. And we're seeing it. We felt it this last Sunday. I want to say as well, the evidence of church history and the history of revivals show us that the greatest awakenings happened in the gatherings of the church. Whole nations were changed because of the Holy Spirit coming down upon the fellowships of the church. And the one way you're going to miss revival, I guarantee you, is if you neglect, neglect fellowship. Guarantee it. You will miss revival if you neglect the gathering of the saints, because that's where it's going to start. And then I want to say, I have to put in here, why don't we neglect the fellowship? It's because of the operating of the gifts through the fellowship. The number of times personally in my life that I have received the ministry of the Spirit through God's people is uncountable, innumerable. I was sitting thinking as preparing the sermon, I am not the same as a person because of the ministry of the saints in the fellowship. My life has been changed through the powerful preaching of the word of God in the fellowship, through the ministry of saints, giving me words and scriptures and prophecies. I mean, I remember we were struggling to fall pregnant with Sarah. We went up and someone prayed for us. Within days, Marina fell pregnant with Sarah. The work of God in our lives and in your life, if you have a testimony of being devoted to fellowship, it's life changing. You're never the same again. And I tell you what, I tell you what, it was often when I didn't want to go and be with God's people on a Sunday, but I said, I'm going to go because I'm devoted to the fellowship, that God moved. You see, don't think it's just you that needs to know that meeting together with God's people is important. At the big fellowship, I want to stress, Sunday after Sunday, or the small fellowship in small group in church, but, the, but Satan knows too. And don't, be expect, don't expect him to give you an easy ride to get to fellowship either. And so I must say this in ending. We are kidding ourselves that if we don't realize that there is a cost to being devoted to this big fellowship. You see, we want church on our terms as a 21st century believer, but we can't have it. And I will say you will do eternal damage to your relationship with Christ and your inheritance if you will not take seriously being devoted to the fellowship of God. And it's going to cost you and it's going to cost me something. You see, Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus says in John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. And 1 John 3, 16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. Friends, we are in a greater competition for this than ever before. Tech. Hobbies, transport, exercise, work opportunities, family meeting. You put all of that in there. But I want to say to you, the cost of not being devoted to the fellowship is eternally too great. The disobedience to the Spirit of God is too costly to not obey. You see, you, you mustn't think that this world is heaven. Please. <laughs> I've got to say to myself, well, Matthew, this world is not heaven. Not seeing the hole in the wall and this thing and this thing and all these, these places, Italy, Europe, I mean, you, they're innumerable. Not seeing them before I die, it's okay. It's okay because you know what? This is not going to be around for much longer. A much greater world with far greater marvels that I'm going to get to enjoy for eternity. God's going to give me them all the amount of time I need. That's what I'm living for and that's what shapes my thinking. I don't live like this world. I don't live grumpy because church costs me so much that I can't see this and this and this. In actual fact, I'll even say, if you think like that, I've got a question a little bit about how you see your salvation and where you're going. You've fallen a little bit too much in love with this world. No, no, no. We are aliens to this world. And I'm not saying you can never go away for a holiday. Oh, but what I'm saying is this is, it's the exception. And even on holiday, I was challenged with Marina. I want to be with the saints. I want to be devoted to the fellowship. Where's there a local church that we can go and attend on a Sunday? Even if you've gone camping with friends, 
Christian friends even, gather them around, even as a family on a Sunday. You might even be in the bush. Man, we love being together and worshiping God again. We're going to pray. We're going to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking your There, You can exercise these things in the smallest or biggest contexts. And I want to say to you today, don't fall too much in love with this world. It's passing away. Don't let it draw you away from the things that are going to be eternally beneficial for your soul. And lastly, I will say this. Parents, 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 what are you modeling to your children today? You see, this is why you'll see if you attend services on Sunday, there's a portion at the start of our service where we have the kids in with their parents. We want them to see faith in action. As a church, we are concerned about this next generation and what they see being authentic faith in their context, in this world. And parents particularly, they need to see your faith. And if you put exercise, holidays, travel, work, family gatherings before the fellowship, they will copy what you do. Don't be distraught when they wander from what was never modeled as important to them at home. When they go off and leave you and suddenly going, they're so far from God, they're hardly ever in church, da 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 da. You must ask yourself the question, well, did you model it to them? Because there are subtle messages all the time that erode a devotion to the fellowship if we let them come in and become regular things that block fellowship with God and God's people. My parents, I realized, were so intentional. I just thought it was powerful, the course that you go to church, we devoted to small group, etc. The, the fellowship of the saints. It wasn't, they were so intentional. It cost them, but I'm so grateful they modeled it to me. Parents, we've got to model this to our children. It's going to be costly, but the eternal benefit far outweighs the cost. Let's pray. Lord, today I pray, oh, this sermon is not sufficient, but what I'm praying, believing your spirit is, God, that you would stir us again with the love for the saints. I pray for the one that's fallen away from fellowship and be drawn into a wrong mindset. I pray that, Lord, you would bring repentance today and that you'd awake them again to an excitement and anticipation, to be partners, to sharing what we're going to share eternally as brothers and sisters in Christ. But, Lord, I also pray for the one this morning who is far from you and maybe he's not born again and can see that, man, I don't have this love for the saints. I don't think I'm born again. I don't think I have this life of the Spirit in me. Help me. Well, if that's you this morning, my friend, you have to start by seeing your need for Jesus. And that's where you need the life of God in your soul. And so if you can see Christ and your need for him, you need to run to him this morning. Say, Jesus, I'm coming to you as my Lord and Savior. I need you to forgive my sin. You wash me clean and make me a new person. Help me live for you today. We need that. We need to start there. Pray. Say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Oh Lord, I pray for us as a church, we would show ourselves devoted to the fellowship. That God, in these days, when we see such a flimsy faith around us, such a fluctuating, such a fragile faith, such fragile commitment, I pray we would be more authentic and devoted to your will for our lives than ever before. Express your devotion through the fellowship. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.